3: Welcome to the Friday show. We've made it to the end of another week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or life questions, anything that's going on. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340 ninety five eighty five. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Numerically that's six three zero five seven five seven. You can also email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. Every day I remind you if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the one banner at the top of the screen. It says call now. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number one more time is 340-9585. Hey, because it's Friday tonight, I'm going to be finishing uh, In the Book of Second Peter. We're last Bible study in Second Peter. i really enjoyed doing First and Second Peter. Um, tonight we close the book and I'm looking forward to that. That'll be at 7 o'clock. You can watch it at calvaryessay.com if you are unable to get here. You can live stream it. Uh, And then, uh, of course, tomorrow morning we have Saturday morning prayer, and uh, um, we're always excited about that. Hey, a personal note before I get into some questions, I want to take a special moment to say happy birthday to my beautiful Erica. She turns 18 today, and I am so proud of you. What a blessing that you have been. So God bless you, sweetheart. We love you, and I hope you're having a really, really great birthday. Good for you. Okay, let's get to some questions while we wait your phone calls. Um, My first question comes from Ariana from our email inbox. Hi, Pastor Ron. My question is regarding the salvation of Jehovah's Witnesses. Recently, my husband has had the opportunity to witness to someone in his family who is a Jehovah's Witness. When the question of Jesus and his deity comes up, he understands that Jesus is God, but this family member says Jesus cannot be the same God as the Father. We know that in another place of the Bible, Exodus 20, the first commandment, it tells us that we cannot worship any uh, other lowercase g gods. That being said, in John 3.16, it says that those who believe in his son will be saved. Now, this family member admits that he does not understand everything about being a Jehovah's Witness. That being said, it is possible, no, is it possible that someone like him can still be saved based on the little bit he has correct? That being... Uh, That being that Jesus is the Son of God. I know it's a little bit confusing, but hopefully not too much. Uh, Kindly, Ariana. Ariana, thank you very much for this. Um, uh, Not confusing at all. I get exactly what you're talking about. And this is the problem with Jehovah's Witnesses. First and foremost, Jehovah's Witnesses, um, their Jesus is not Jesus. Um, The Jehovah's Witness Jesus is Michael, the archangel in another form. Uh, And they'll call him the Son of God. That's the problem with Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. They use much the same language, um, but, but, but they pour different meanings into the word. We know the Bible says that only God can forgive sins. Jesus was challenged. He was being accused of blasphemy when he said that he could forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus didn't correct that. He let that stand. But, of course, what they were objecting to was that Jesus was saying that he was God. And the Jehovah's Witness, Jesus, is not God the Son. Now, I, I say this often, Ariana, that you have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but you also have to believe that he is the, the, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, with all of the attributes and all the characteristics of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Our God is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Jehovah's Witnesses, of course, deny that. So um, your family member is not a believer. You can't get just a little bit right. You can't pick and choose. If you're depending on Jesus Christ for the salvation of your soul, forgiveness of sins, then you better be sure you have the right Jesus. And uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses do not nor does um, the Jesus of the Mormons. Both of those are are, are religious cults. And and the earmark a birthmark of any cult is that they mess with the deity of Jesus Christ. So as much as I'd like to say, well, you know, he's close, but close doesn't cut it. His sin still hasn't been atoned for. And um, what he needs to do is get out of the Jehovah's Witnesses and listen to what John chapter 1 really says. Uh, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So to say that I'll have no other little g-gods before him uh, doesn't apply to God, who is a big g-god. And Jesus, of course, is that God. So, Ariana, thanks for the question. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses really and truly need our prayers. They really and truly need our prayers. Let's go to our first call today from Live Oak. Let's talk with Tim on line one. Tim, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
2: Uh, Yes, Pastor Ron. I have a comment and a question. First, I started doing the Bible study all over again, and I'm only using your commentary notes. And I must say, if I turn my... Bible upside down, ink would come out. I have so many notes because you've enlightened me <laughs> in so many ways.
3: <laughs> oh, bless you, Tim. Thank you. So many
2: things I never imagined. And I'm in first uh, stamina right now, and the part about the very beginning, Saul, did not have a heart. I'm like, wow, I didn't even see those little details you were talking about. So mm. thank you for that. My pleasure. I was wondering. With what's going on in Egypt and Ethiopia right now? Do you think that could be leading into the Isaiah nineteen five ten 10, and Ezekiel 29, 9, 11 prophecies?
3: Tim, uh, what, what are you talking about that's going on in Egypt and in Ethiopia right now? I've not looked at the news to well, see anything that's, that's happened.
2: Well, it's um, very clear in the Bible. It talks about something's going to happen to the Nile, and Egypt's going to cry out, say, "The Nile is mine." And God says, "Well, since you want to rely on only that, I'm going to dry it up all the way to Ethiopia." And right now, Ethiopia has a dam they've been building for ten years, and they're about to start yeah. building. out having the reservoir. Egypt is saying, "You're going to dry up the Nile. You're going to take the Nile from us," and they're threatening war against Ethiopia if they start this. So thinking that's so. I couldn't even imagine a way to drying up a whole river, but that could actually do it.
3: Yeah, now now I know what you're talking about, Tim. Thank you very very much. You know, uh, Tim, a couple of things. One is when the Nile dries up, um, it's going to dry up so that the, the 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 200 million men armies from the east can come come through and that's at the end of the great tribulation so uh, I don't think we have to worry about the now and in terms of of prophecies dealing with the end times I think the the more appropriate place to keep our attention rather than Egypt and Ethiopia I think the more appropriate place would be to keep your eyes on Syria on on, uh, um, what's going on there and um, Turkey is another one um, you know all of that place right into the Ezekiel thirty, 30 and thirty nine prophecies um, um, but, but we what we see with with without even careful observation is the whole world that we live in is 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 almost like turning to the eastern sky waiting for the return of jesus so when we see a pestilence i mean we 're all freaked out because of the coronavirus. We see, um, um, uh, we'll see soon. I think famine, uh, the way the economies of the world are crashing, Uh, we're going to see desperate, desperate need. Uh, We see, most importantly, Tim, the 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 turning of the human heart uh, into complete and utter lawlessness and disregard for the things of God. So, I think there's a a lot of things um, that, that are yet to happen. But we are right on the edge of Jesus coming back. So um, most of the prophecies that you're going to deal with in the Old Testament, um, rather than specifically applying them to our time, it's just pointing to that time um, where where the world is preparing for the return of Jesus. And Tim, with all of my heart, I believe that's exactly where we are. So um, I'd heard about the, the, the damn, um, um that dam is not going to be built um, uh, the, the middle East is so unstable um, that I, that I don't think they would ever the other nations in the world would ever let that happen but a time is coming when um, that nile is going to be the great river is going to be dried up and the uh, 200 million men army from the east is going to come if you're interested Tim I've got uh, that information in the commentary that I've written. Or it, and it's not really a commentary. Um, I haven't edited or anything, but it's just my notes uh, through the Bible and the book of Revelation also available to us online. Tim, thank you for the nice things that you said. I appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question from Brian. It's a statement, really. He says, I think it's cruel for God to require uh, us to believe in something by faith and send us to hell when we don't. Well, Brian, it really doesn't matter what you think is cruel or not. Um, You know, um, um, let me me maybe give you another suggestion. Rather than thinking by faith, and you know, when unbelievers think about believe by faith, oh, you pull the faith card, you Christians always believe by faith, uh, I'm asking you to look at the evidence. The evidence for God is absolutely overwhelming. The evidence that Jesus Christ himself is God is equally overwhelming. So we're not asking you to take a blind leap of faith. What we're saying is simply look at the evidence. It points to a creator. It points to a God who is in sovereign control of the universe. And he's asking you to believe in him. No, it takes faith to believe in something that you can't see. But it's not blind faith. It's faith based on fact. Faith based on evidence. And God... His word says that we're all condemned when we're born. The the day we're born is the day we begin to die. Um, Apart from Christ, we're all going to die. God, who didn't have to, I mean, He created us. He created the process by which we were were born. um, And we blew it. We sinned. Um, He didn't have to send His Son to die for our sins. I mean, think about it, Brian, if God wanted to, he could just wipe us out, judge us, make another whole group of people and start over and hope He got a better result. But instead, he loved us so much. Ephesians 2.10 says that we're the best thing he ever made. And he loves you so much that he couldn't bear to be separated from you for eternity. And yet we have to make a choice. We're going to live somewhere forever. We're going to either live with Jesus. We call that heaven or separated from Jesus. We call that hell. And God doesn't send us there. We make the choice of our own free will to go there. Now, nobody's going to say, well, yeah, I want to go to hell and be in torment. But when the options are laid out, with Jesus or without, God says, just make the right choice. Isaiah 28 says that judgment is a strange work to God. It's contrary to his character, his nature. And yet, because he's holy, he has to judge unrighteousness. And so, this isn't anything at all about cruelty. This is an act of love, the greatest act of love in the history of our world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him would have everlasting life. We don't need to perish, we'd have everlasting life. So, Brian, look at it from a different perspective. All the things you've done, God is willing to say, I'm sorry. I'll forgive you. Just just repent and I'll forgive. So nothing cruel about it. As I said, it's the greatest act of love. Brian, one other thing, the truth is for you, it was for me before I got saved. It is for everybody who ever rejects Jesus Christ. The only reason people reject Jesus Christ is not because they can't believe, it's because they will not believe. And they will not believe because there's sin that they don't want to stop doing are still being controlled by sin they don't want to stop so Brian pray that makes sense to you we're in the last days look around look at the things that are going on in our world the the upset of nations um, the, the virus this pandemic people huddling around in fear people these days they get a Cold and they start worrying about the coronavirus. All we have to do is look to Jesus. Here's a question from Damon. He says, Pastor what is the most effective way to fight against spiritual warfare? Um, Damon, the, the most effective way, and I don't mean to be tried, I say this all the time, is just be with Jesus, let him do the fighting. You know, Jesus is our big brother. Big brothers protect little brothers. I grew up, I'm a a short person, small person. I always have been. And uh, my brother, who's three years older than I am, uh, he was uh, like six feet tall when he was 11 years old. You know, I'll never get to six feet tall. And uh, because he was so big, so much bigger than all the other kids, um, my brother was a protector. I could be mouthy, and I was. I could provoke people, and I did. But every time they want to fight me, I just say, hey, if you fight me, you got to fight my big brother. Hebrews says that Jesus is our elder brother. So what I want to do when the enemy comes is I want to let him deal with Jesus. I don't want to spend a minute. I don't want to spend any time. So just be with Jesus. Now that's the short answer. The long answer is Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, beginning in verse 10, where Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God. We, we can't put on part of it. We've got to walk around protected all day long. And we do that with the elements that you can read in that passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 6. But, Damon, I think we need to demystify spiritual warfare a little bit. It's not taking authority. It's not pleading the blood. Uh, it's not shouting and binding the devil. It's just walking in the righteousness that Christ provides for us. And if we'll do that, I promise you, we're going to be insulated. The enemy will still attack. But basically all he can do is huff and puff and threaten to blow our spiritual house down. But he really can't. So don't try to make it too spiritual sounding or too mystical. Uh, We are in a battle. In battle every day, the enemy's always whispering, sometimes shouting at us, but he has to go through Jesus. If I'm with Jesus, I'm just going to tell Jesus, I don't want to spend time with him. You take care of him. So, Damon, I hope that answers your question. It's important. The weapons we fight with are not worldly weapons, but they're weapons that are given to us by God so that we can effectively overcome the spiritual attacks of our enemy. 3409585, here's a question from Robin. Interesting question. Uh, If Jesus intercedes for us, why do we have to ask other people to pray for us as well? Um, Robin, we don't. Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. Now, I don't want you to think that Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of the Father and he's going, please, God, please, Father, answer the question or answer this prayer or do this or do that. That's not what intercession means. What that means is Jesus is an everlasting statement of intercession. He interceded for us on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He gave us his perfection. We give him our filth and he gives us his perfection. And so he intercedes for us as an everlasting statement of intercession. Now, this subject of asking other people to pray for us is interesting, but it's also confusing. You know, there's um, Catholics, for instance, they will pray to Mary, they will pray to to the saints. Uh, All of that is nonsense. Absolute and utter nonsense. Um, We ask people to pray for us because we're told to do that in the Bible. We're told to pray for others as well. Now, I don't know, we don't know for sure how prayer moves the hand in the heart of God, but we know that it does, over and over. Um, God would get fed up with Israel in the wilderness, Moses, these are your people, and Moses would argue, they're not my people, they're your people, I didn't want this job. And 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 God would say, no, no, I'm, I'm just going to destroy them all, I'm going to start all over. At one point he even told Moses, Moses, I'll take you And we'll start a great nation. You'll be in charge. And Moses said, God, I don't want to. If you don't go, I'm not going. What a great statement of faith that is. But you see, God was working on the heart of Moses to become an intercessor for the people. God knew what he was going to do. God was never going to wipe Israel out. He couldn't keep his promises to Abraham if that were the case. He was just... Molding Moses' heart so that Moses would have a heart after God's heart. The Apostle Paul, in his epistles, he will often say something like, Pray for us, and then explain the difficulty that they were heading into. So we do it because that's the example that we're given in the Bible. That's what we're told to do. Um, maybe God wants a lot of other people to share in our rewards when we get to heaven and so when we pray for people we're doing um, the thing that God would do the, the, with the heart that he has and when we ask other people to pray we're humbling ourselves and saying you know what I've got something really important going on or something difficult going on would you pray for me I've I've uh, received a half dozen emails today people asking for prayer that's the right thing to do and so um That's why we do it. Uh, Robin, we we just pray. You know, Robin, I've got nobody waiting on the line, so I I had a time very early in my Christian walk. um, And in my life, I messed things up so badly that, boy, the first especially three years were so hard. I mean, so hard. Consequences that were crushing and so every day, it was. I had to hold on to Jesus. There was just nothing else I could do. And I remember one day saying, Lord, please, please. And we got into one of those panic modes. And so I'd start to talk to people. I was always sharing Jesus. And I'd tell hey, would you pray for me, bro? Would you pray for me? Sister, would you? You know, just anybody and everybody. And I was doing it in a, in a, in a panic phase. And, and the Lord stopped me cold one day, just me and him walking. And he said to me, and and this is what he spoke to my heart, no audible voice, just very clearly said, Ron, at any given moment, there are 10,000 people praying for you. Now think about that. That one statement that God spoke to my heart in a time of fear changed my life. And so I have no problem asking for people to pray for me and... um, I want to be sure that their prayer like mine are nevertheless Thy will not my will be done but we've got a need for prayer Uh, Robin let me give you something that you can pray for me for pray for Calvary Chapel San Antonio we're um, at the very beginning stages of opening up uh, a new ministry it's called uh, Unusual Kindness Um, we've got the people in place most of them anyway Uh, and and I think we're ready to go. The only thing we're lacking is the money to get it started, and that's not an issue for God. Uh, like when we started Multimedical and like when we started the Free School, um, you know, we're waiting for God to say go, but, but we know it's true. I mean, He even gave me the name a couple of weeks ago for the restaurant. And uh, I would ask you, Robin, and anybody else who wants to pray for us at Calvert Chapel, uh, I would pray, ask for prayer that, that um, we would be faithful. And that unusual kindness would be a vehicle through which a lot of people could get saved, and if I can ask for one other thing, Robin, for prayer for you and for the audience here, is that with our medical ministry multi medical and by the way, unusual kindness, the name comes out of acts twenty eight which is where multi medical came from, comes from as well. Um, uh, I would ask that that you all keep uh, multi medical Dr. Peter, Dr. Sheba, and the whole uh, staff there, nurses, administrators, and the other people that are there in the ministry. Uh, I would ask that you keep them in prayers. That you keep them uh, that that the Lord would keep them safe. Um, you know, all of our medical people are on the front lines. They're exposed to this virus all the time. Uh, if if somebody in the clinic gets um, tested positive, then uh, we got closed down for a couple of weeks, and and um, um, you know we don't want to do it we want the ministry to keep going people getting saved and we want to be able to do the work so please keep the, the staff at Malta Medical uh, in your prayers I would appreciate it very very much we're inside one minute so I'm not going to try to get another question in now um, but we'd love your calls uh, on the second half of the program at 340 or toll free 877-630-KSLR but um, just keep us in your prayers please uh, the work that God is doing uh, has to keep going in these last days Jesus is coming we don't want to be found uh, sitting around running from a virus or anything else in these last days we can hear the music that means we got 30 minutes left on our week 340-9585 that's three four I'll be back in two minutes see you on the other side of the break
4: Got a question for Pastor
3: Ron and the word to stand on for life? You can send it to him via email at pastorronkslr at gmail.com. That's Pastor Ron KSLR at gmail.com.
2: I need the word to stand on.
0: Welcome back to the Word to Stand on for Life. We're taking your calls at 340 9585 or toll free 877 630 KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
3: Welcome back to the second half of our final program of the week, 340 9585. Hey, I just remembered, I meant to say this at the top. Sunday is Father's Day. So to all you dads out there, God bless you. Um, But let's remember that we have a Father. We do a worship song. Uh, he's a good, good Father. Uh, he knows my name. Um, let's give our Father in Heaven a really, really wonderful Father's Day gift by offering Him the totality of our hearts. That would be great. Let's go to our phone lines from San Antonio. Greg on line one. Greg, thanks for holding. You're on the air.
4: Yeah, best friend, I was... Uh... Reading through, maybe Psalms 34 uh, the other day, and I guess we a little more than halfway through that that chapter. It throws out it's kind of it seems like a, uh, a phrase that's out of place, but I know I can't be out of place because that's not how God works. But it says, uh, states uh, something in fact that you will guard all of His bones, and none of them will be broken. And I've heard some other preachers talk about that referring to Christ himself that when he's on the cross that he, none of his legs would be broken or bones will be broken like he's up there when traditionally that's what they did to love people they crucify with break their legs so can you kind of you know do you have an idea of what that may refer to
3: yeah, I, I do, uh, Greg. Thank you. I appreciate the question very, very much. Um, um, you, you know, the, the Psalms. Remember, these are poems. Uh, we we would think of them maybe as as song lyrics, but but it's deeper than that. So there, there's a different hermeneutic rule in 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 the Psalms, the Proverbs, those kind of things. So in the context, we go down to verse 18. He's talking about. The eyes of the Lord, this is verse 15, the eyes of the Lord on the righteous, his ears are to their cry, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. To cut off the memory of them from the earth, the righteous crowd, and the Lord hears them, he delivers them from all their trouble. And then he says in verse 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And then, and then the, the one you're asking about, a righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones, not one of them, Will be broken. Um, this psalm has been recognized uh, from early Jewish times as messianic, and we know that this refers to Jesus. God is closed, you know, when Jesus cried out, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" We're told here that the Lord hears His righteous cries. And while he delivers them from all of their troubles, he didn't deliver his son. And then when he says in verse 19, a righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He wasn't delivered, Jesus wasn't. And yet he says this, and this is prophetic, he protects all his bones, not one of them will be broken. That's just a a full-on prophecy of Jesus' Uh, on the cross, yet not suffering the consequences that most would. You know, it could take a long time. Often it took much longer than the six hours it took Jesus to die. Um, but but in certain cases, when the Romans wanted to expedite the death, you're right, they would come and shatter the shins um, so, so that, that it'd be impossible to hold yourself up and, and people would suffocate uh, very quickly. Well, not so with Jesus. Um, well, they broke the bones of the thieves next to him. Uh, Jesus, when they came to him, he was already dead. That's why they um, put the spear in his side, uh, just to make sure that he was, he was in fact dead. And, and this was a prophecy that was um, fulfilled uh, perfectly, um, um, surprisingly, uh, based on, on the Roman traditions and also remember that when when these psalms were written, especially the messianic song psalms like this one um there was no such thing as crucifixion in the world, so this was prophesying to a time that was much farther down the road. but that's what the reference is and had Jesus had they broken his shin so that he would have died more quickly um then then of course. Jesus wouldn't have fulfilled the prophecy; he wouldn't have been the Lord. So that's all this is, Greg. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Let's go to Melissa on line two. Melissa, thanks for holding. You're on the air.
1: Hi, pastor Dahlgren. I mean, I'm sorry, Pastor Ron. <laughs> I was in a Bible study last night. I was in a Bible study last night with another pastor. And, uh, you know, I've been really sick for the past four days, so I want to make sure that I get this correct, because I've been a little bit confused, I guess, as you can tell here. Um, We were going through Matthew chapter 13, where it's talking about the parable of the weeds and um, the harvest, and do not, you know, pull up the weeds, let them grow together in the harvest. And then it was stated, all of a sudden, he stated now, in my opinion, if we go to chapter, uh, if we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 3, it mentions, do you not know that we will judge angels? And so, from my understanding last night and trying to get, you know, wrap my head around this, he began to start talking about the, um, the tribulation, uh, and the judgment. And that the angels that fell, he said, in my opinion, the angels that fell with with Satan are tools of God. And so when it comes time for judgment, we will be judging those angels that fell, and it will be at that time that those angels will have a second chance. And so I just wanted... I know. I, 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 it just kind of blew me away, and I was like, I'm, "I must be really sick," so <laughs> because uh, I'm, 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 I have not been well for four days now, and so I'm just yeah. like, so I got to call this into the radio show tomorrow." So, if you can maybe you know speak on this a little bit, I would really appreciate it.
3: Yeah, I, I can. And, and Melissa, let me pray for you really quickly too, Lord. Um, lots of people not feeling well, so wrap your arms around Melissa, pour out your spirit and bless her abundantly. And evidently, her discernment was working just fine last night, Lord. When when this came on, so um, bless her, protect her, give her body strength, and and uh, just let her be well. We pray for your glory, Amen. Uh, Melissa, the the angels, and and the the fact that we will judge angels, it's not that we're going to stand behind a a. a, a podium and, and have a gavel and pronounce their judgment. But um, we're going to be instruments of judgment used by God to judge the angels who left their first estate. Now remember how much more accountable they are than us. God is going to be able to say, look, you were in my presence. You were in my presence. You saw everything. You heard me. You were there. I created you magnificently. And you chose to rebel Well, all of these humans who didn't see what you saw, they believed so you can believe. It's like Peter saying, um, um, or or John saying rather, that that we believe because we've seen, but blessed, more blessed are those who have not seen and believe. So the the angels who fall, they they had a one-time chance and by the way, there's no connection at all to, to 1 Corinthians 6 um, when, in the parables that Jesus is telling in Matthew chapter 13. So there's no connection at all. That's, that's just crazy, nutty stuff. And, you know, a pastor can't get away with just saying, well, in my opinion. Now, there are things that we don't have the answers to. But, but from saying, well, this is what it means to me. And it's just not um, an acceptable response for a pastor whose job is to rightly divide the word of God. Um, We we're free to disagree and stuff, but this kind of hermeneutic is just out of the way. The Bible tells us very clearly that the angels, the fallen angels, had a one-time opportunity. I personally believe, Melissa, that it happened on the sixth day of creation when God created man. And and I believe that's when Satan rebelled against God. Satan was God's most beautiful creation until he saw man. And he said, now it's very good. Ephesians 2.10 says we're the best thing God ever made. And I think that's what God used to give Satan the opportunity to, to um, uh, worship, continue worshiping God or rebel against God. And, of course, we know and God knew that's what was going to happen. God knew that in Lucifer's heart there was that wickedness. And so when he deceived a third of the angels and took them with him, uh, they too fell, but theirs is a once forever choice they made. Sort of like when Jesus said, too much is given, much more is required. Um, um, They're not like us when we can repent and backslide and repent and backslide. We don't get, we we get a lot of chances. They don't. And so the idea is that they had a one-time chance. Satan offered them a chance, and they took it, and they were in rebellion. They'll stay in rebellion forever and ever and ever. You might remember too, Melissa, that's not unique because in the Great Tribulation, um, when people take the mark of the beast, they're going to know what it is, they're going to know that once and for all they're turning their back on God and they're going to lose all hope. That's why we see them sitting in caves with hundred-pound hailstones raining down. And though they know it's the wrath of the Lamb, all they can do is shake their fist at God in anger. Well, the angels who fell, um, that was their chance. So they don't get a second chance. Uh, the angels who kept their first estate uh, will never have an opportunity uh, and I use that in a negative connotation uh, to reject Jesus they made their once and forever choice and uh, the angels who fell and now we call them demons they made their once and forever choice I think the greatest lesson in terms of application for us on this one uh, Melissa is that we should say okay Lord I want my choice to serve you to be my once forever choice I don't want to have any more doubts no turning back no looking back I'm going to follow you no matter what I wouldn't go to that Bible study anymore, Melissa. I mean, I know you did it online, but I wouldn't do it. It's a lot of junk out there online. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Jordan. He or she says, how can I balance free will and predestination? To me, it seems that both things cannot be true. Thank you. Um, Jordan, I, I understand the tension in the the way that we think, but but we think that way uh, because we're we're thinking in a worldly context rather than in a spiritual context. Um, um, we have the free will choice to serve God or reject Him. God knows what choice we're going to make. Romans eight twenty nine, um, uh, Ephesians chapter one verse one. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, First uh, Peter one one. Um, we, he knows what choice we're going to make, according to his foreknowledge. So God chooses those who are going to choose Him. We don't know it, but He does. And so there's really no tension between both things. I love that I'm chosen by God. And if, if people hear that, they say, "Well, see, you didn't have any choice in matter." Yeah, I did. I chose Him. I had a, a guy come up to me one time who was struggling with this whole Calvinism debate, um, uh, limited atonement and predestination, and um, um, you you can't resist God's will, irresistible will, Um, and and he said, you know, well, well, God didn't choose me, so how can you say that God loves me? And my response to him was, well, you can prove it right now by choosing God. If you want to know if God chose you, you can choose him right now, and then you will know. Are you ready to choose God? And he wouldn't do it because what he was doing was in a dishonest fashion, he was sort of wrestling with this whole thing. Well, I'm not really free if God knows what I'm going to do. No, you wouldn't be free if God made you make the choices you're going to make. That would completely blow our free will uh, away. But if the basis of God's choice was what he knew, then there's no tension at all. So every day, Jordan, by the way, this is one of the reasons I get up and say, Lord, today of my own free will I choose to serve Jesus. Now he knows if I'm going to be faithful to that choice, but that's what I say every day because I want to be reminded that I have to choose to serve the Lord every day. I want to walk in his perfect, pleasing, acceptable will every day. Now, I, I, like everybody else, I get tempted and there's times when my mind starts to wander well all of that's fine but every day the choices I make are on me I get to make them I get hope they honor God when I do and when that's the case Jordan no tension at all we're chosen by God but we're chosen because he knew we were going to choose him it doesn't make you do things he just knows the choices you're going to make. Good question, Jordan. Let's go to Jeff on line one from San Antonio. Jeff, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
4: Hi, Pastor Ron. Big hug. Hi, Jeff. Hey. I uh, lost uh, you. Oh, okay. Am I am I there?
3: Yeah, you're you're cutting out a little bit. But now I got you.
4: Okay, great. Mama Paul is right. I, I don't want to call on Thursdays anymore because I don't want you guys to stop talking. <laughs>
3: <laughs> she was good yesterday.
4: She was awesome. Yep. yep. Um I, w- I wanted to ask you uh, about, in Exodus, the laws in 21, 22, and 23. Uh, I know that's kind of like numbers. It's kind of something that the majority of Christians just kind of skimp over and or laugh at. And, and I'm wondering if you, I haven't read your, your uh, study on that or listened to Exodus yet, but um, could you could you, uh, could you uh, speak on that a little bit? Because I know that there are, are, are some things in there that are, that are very pertinent to us today uh, and, and really demonstrate God's love at that time. So I'll take your answer off the air. And God bless you.
3: Thank you, Jeff. God bless you as well. Um, you know we have to remember when we're looking at the laws that that not not the ten commandments um, th- this this is a, um, a distinction between the ten commandments the law of God applies to all people at all times um, even today nine of the ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament um, we we don't have um, uh, the Sabbath but Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath he is our Sabbath rest um, but Uh, These laws, and and they're referred to as the law of Moses, um, they apply specifically and only to Israel. So these aren't laws. We read these things and we kind of get freaked out because, well, that doesn't make sense. Which ones do we keep and which ones do we throw away? Uh, And and often, Jeff, the cynics or critics of Christianity uh, will, will throw these laws out and say, well, you don't stone children anymore kind of thing. Remember that God had Israel's welfare at heart. He only wanted about dietary laws. He gave them because he knew uh, that, that they were going to be walking around in the wilderness for 40 years, and and he didn't want them to suffer from the same diseases that the pagan peoples around them. He kept them healthy, kept them safe for all of those years. Um, the, the 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 other laws that he set before them they make a lot of sense, and honestly, they would be good for us today if we were keeping them in the right spirit with the right heart. So. Um, the law of Moses um, that's in these chapters differs markedly from um, non-Israelite law codes um, in the sense that even in earlier times God's law gave special care to widows, to orphans, to the poor, to the defenseless. Um, Such humane treatment is never found in the other ancient codes of the law or their law. So Uh, Remember, God wanted things to go well for them and his purpose in giving this law, these laws to Israel was that they would be marked out as his special people. God wanted, and this is where Israel failed so miserably, Jeff, and it's where we fail in our witness uh, in, in, in 2020 in the world. God wants his people to be a light for the rest of the world to see. God says, here are my laws. You go show them who I am. Show them my character, my nature. Um, Show them that you're filled with joy. Show them that you have hope. Well, he's still doing the same thing through the church, Um, his desire is that the unsaved world would see who he is through us. So that's what we really, really have to uh, focus on. And uh, that was his purpose on giving them. So, I mean, you could go through all of this. uh, If you buy a Hebrew servant, he's to serve you for six years. But in the seventh year, he shall go free without paying anything. And I'm not going to do an exposition on this passage of Scripture. Um, But um, his first words, um, you know, why would a Hebrew buy a Hebrew as a servant? Well, slavery was a fact of life. Everybody in the world forever has been embroiled in slavery. And so here's what he's saying. Is I'm going to declare freedom for you. Here's a law. You buy a Hebrew servant. In the seventh year, he goes free, and he doesn't have to pay anything. I love that his first words um, made notice of the fact that he brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, and he's saying to them, I want you to do this in the world that you live in. Show the world that I'm different. So that's really... The important thing here Jeff about these laws and I really suffer when I see Christians who get so wrapped up in trying to explain these laws or keep these laws and they're doing it for all the wrong reasons. Remember these laws are given specifically and only to Israel unlike the Ten Commandments. There's the distinction only to Israel. Jesus fulfilled these laws perfectly. The letter and the Spirit and the only thing harder than trying to keep these laws is when Jesus raised the standards in the Sermon on the Mount. Thanks, Jeff. Good to hear from you. Um, here is a question. Oh, a caller called in. Said, thank you, Pastor Ron, and to your audience for keeping me in prayer. Since you've been in contact with me, God has blessed me with a car here in Seguin, Paul. Hey, Paul, thank you for letting us know that. You know, I still get asked by people how you're doing, and we just say, keep praying for him. Last time we heard, he's doing good. So, Paul, thank you. Now that you've got a car, you got to come over here and visit so we can see you face-to-face. God bless you. I appreciate it so much. And uh, we will continue to keep you in prayer. Oh, I love people when they are able to... Uh, keep me posted on stuff like that. This will be the last question that we get today. Uh, It's from Jackie. She says, Jesus intentionally broke the Sabbath laws, so how can he be said to be sinless? Well, Jackie, the best part about Jesus is that he wasn't breaking the law. He was interpreting the law, the Sabbath law, with his ministry. So what Jesus did was he, in the eyes of the legalists, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, um, he was breaking the interpretation they had of the law. But what Jesus said repeatedly to them, and I'm going to use my words, he said, you guys got this all wrong. You know, you, you, you separate your little mints and cummins, and, and, and you, you know, you're so careful to make sure that you don't have something unclean come in your mouth so, you know, with a gnat with a, a or something but you neglect the heavier the weightier matters of the law the, the matters of love so what Jesus is saying to them repeatedly Jackie is that you guys don't get it at all I love the Pharisee that came up to Jesus said teacher what's the most important law and Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. The second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And and the, the, the uh, religious leader said, Good answer, Jesus. Um, no, he never broke the Sabbath. He is the only one of the day that understood what the Sabbath law was for. Jesus said, um, Man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. That's something the Jewish leaders in Jesus' day never truly understood. So they could look at him and they had all their legalistic interpretations and they could say, you violate the Sabbath, you healed a man on the Sabbath. Jesus said, well, how can you not heal a man on the Sabbath? They tried repeatedly, Jackie, to, to trip him up, to, to catch him in a trap. Uh, I love when they brought a man in the synagogue, set him right at the door when Jesus was walking in and the man had a shriveled hand. And Jesus would have shaken and said, so oh, these guys. And basically what he said was, um, stretch out your hand. And and he knew that was offending everyone. He said, which of you, if you had an animal that fell into a pit, wouldn't rescue the animal on the Sabbath? Well, how much more these sons and daughters of Abraham? So that's really, really important, Jackie. Jesus never violated the Sabbath, not the, the, the letter of the law or the intended law, and he used his ministry in large part. It's what got him in trouble to, to demonstrate to the Pharisees that they didn't understand at all what the Sabbath was about. So thank you for the question, Jackie. Hey, tonight at 7 o'clock I'm going to be teaching, closing the book, Second Peter We're in 2 Peter chapter 3. I think I'm going to start in verse 11 through the end of the chapter. Sunday, I'm going to be teaching in 1 Timothy chapter 5. May the Lord bless you, keep you, be safe out there, keep your eyes looking up. Jesus is coming soon. Happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh.